Hey, I want to share this testimony with you. This is a family that goes to our Conway campus. Uh, we go to service at NLC on Saturday night. So last night, naturally, we crashed the Collide Conference. We walked in. The room was packed wall-to-wall. Some kids standing in the front. I won't lie. It smelled like a gym, which it did. It was atrocious up in that place. But that's the way. It's, it's okay, guys. We understand. It happens. Uh, it says, well, I, the worship team was on point. But what I noticed was all the kids who were worshiping with their hands in the air. They're clapping and responding. And at several points, the worship team could stop using vocals because these kids were singing every word so loudly that they didn't have to be led. It was amazing. It was powerful. And as I thought about my six-year-old in kid life and the little one that is in my tummy, I was so grateful that we attend a church where they will one day worship the way I used to cheer at pop concerts, but for their Jesus. It was powerful enough to bring tears to my eyes. A few weeks ago, Pastor Rick said, we are going to reach young people. I'm so grateful that we are. I'm so grateful that my girls are some of those young people. This week, our state will be full of kids who are filled up with the word of God. How amazing is that? Come on, let's give God some more praise for everything he did at Collide. Definitely thankful to be in a church that's reaching the next generation. I'm thankful for Pastor Rick's passion to continue to do everything we can to empower and to reach and to speak in to these students. Today I want to speak to you uh, on a subject that I think is, is pretty appropriate for this time of year. Uh, we're coming out of summer and getting ready to start school. Anybody ready for school to start? Anybody in the room? Yeah. yeah. Okay, we have one, one student that's really ready and then a bunch of families with young kids that are so ready. It's just emotional almost about it. Anybody ever have someone try to pick a fight with you in your life over something really stupid? Anybody in your life? And I'm not talking about your spouse because we all know that that happens all the time, right? We pick fights with our spouses over stupid stuff. But I'm talking about just like a, a random stranger, some person just wanted to try to pick a fight with you. Well, a few years ago, I was down in San Antonio watching the greatest sport organization that's ever existed on the planet, the San Antonio Spurs. And, uh, and while I was watching a game, uh, we were playing against the Dallas Mavericks. And, and at this game, uh, it, that's, it's a pretty strong rivalry, I guess, although we beat them handedly commonly. And so uh, we were beating them again, but my team, I was there and I was wearing my Spurs stuff and, and, and the Spurs did something great, which is not uncommon. They do great things all the time, but, but they did something great. So I stood up and I was cheering. And, and next thing I know, I get hit really, really hard right here, like right across my neck and shoulder. And it like surprised me. And I'm like, look, I'm, I'm a pastor and a believer, but somebody's about to feel the wrath like right now, like this is going down. And I turn around to find what had to have been at least an 80-year-old woman <laughs> wearing a Mavericks jersey, and she hit me with her cane <laughs> and was cussing and yelling at me to sit down. And I'll tell you, you'll be surprised how satisfying it is watching an 80-year-old woman get arrested. Because uh, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I wanted to so bad, but I didn't. I just moved and, and just said, man, you, 
that's some strong demons. Uh, and, but I was just like, come on, this is a game. This is sport. Like, that's the only time in my life that I've had aggravated assaults done against me. Like, it was just crazy. And at a game, there are some things that are just really, really stupid to pick fights about. But what I want to talk to you today is something that definitely is worth fighting for, and that's the family. And I want to talk to you about what it looks like and what it means to fight for an awesome family. And I use those words intentionally. Awesome is something that we use to describe God, just like we're in awe, awestruck. And and some of you, you've never felt awestruck about your family. But I believe God wants to give you that. But I'll also use the word fight because I know without a shadow of a doubt that having an awesome family does not happen on accident. The kind of family that happens on accident is an average family. You don't even have to work that hard for it. It'll just happen. But if you want an awesome family, it's gonna take some work. You're gonna have to fight for it. I don't know anybody that would just honestly admit like, hey, I just, you know, I just want my life to be real average. I want my family, I want my marriage just to be real average. I just want to be able to come home and plop myself in my chair and look over at my average wife with my average relationship with her and my annoying kids that are just barely average and That's just the life I'm looking for. I don't know anybody, but I know that it happens. I don't think anybody intentionally does that, but I do think people intentionally don't fight for what it takes to not be that. And I think you have to be intentional if you want to have the kind of family that I believe God wants us to have. So today, I'm not going to give you like a checklist of principles, like guarantee this is going to work for your family. Because the one thing that I have learned and am continually learning is the moment you think you have a formula of how to do something with your family or raising kids or whatever, God gives you four kids with four different personalities, and those personalities change every week. So as soon as you think you've got it figured out, God switches up something on you because he is determined to keep you depending on him for everything. But I do want to give you some principles. And I will say these are things that I'm working on and I mess up from time to time. And the rest of the time it's Cody's fault. But, but these are principles. I'm joking. That's not true. Uh, but these are things I think if you'll let, allow the Lord to speak to you, then, then these can help you. Uh, and the reason why it's important for me to almost ask permission is because a lot of times when you talk about people's families, especially when you talk about raising kids, it's one of the things that people stiff arm the most because it's the most difficult thing to be teachable and humble about. I don't know why that is. So I'm just telling you this. I'm coming to you from a place of of humility and, and, and just declaring like, I don't have all this down, but these are things that I'm learning. And the reason why we have to fight Because whether or not we recognize it or not, there are plenty of things fighting against the family. So what are some of the things fighting against family? Well, economic forces fight against families. Hello, has anybody ever just had your finances crash and burn? Anybody in the house? Okay, 18 people. The rest of you, I guess you're buying us lunch because you've never had an issue with finances. 
Come on, how many of you have ever struggled with your finances before? Okay, thank you for class participation. I appreciate it. Thank you for setting a good example for your kids that are getting ready to go back to school because they're going to go back and sit in their classroom and the teacher's going to ask a question. They're going to be like, no, my parents don't raise their hands, so I'm not going to. Thank you for setting a good example. There are also spiritual forces. Now, some people talk way too much about this, but I think sometimes we may not talk enough about it. We have a good God, we have a very bad devil, and he hates us. And he's got a plan. And he wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy everything that God tried to put together. He wants to tear it apart. Okay, so we have to recognize those things. We also have moral forces. Okay, now these, these are just desires and temptations. And a lot of times people like to try to put all this on the devil. Like the devil's just tempting me. No, you were born inherently into sin. You have desires. You have things that you're tempted about. So these are things that fight against our families. You see this in family members. You see temptations. You see personal desires that are trying to tear down the fabric of your family. We also have cultural forces. Now, this is what I've just considered. Like, these are just, honestly, it's one of the things that's bothering me the most right now. It's like, who gave you permission to try to dictate what my family needs to look like? But it's these outside forces that, that, that because of the culture we live in, because of the, the times that we live in, because of who we elect, because of a lot of those types of things. There's these cultural forces that like to fight against the family. And then there's also social forces. Now these are just more your day-to-day your -day influences. This is peer pressure. This is family that are trying to tell you that the way you're gonna be a successful parent, successful wife, husband, whatever it is, you've gotta do all these things. So there's this pressure to, to be involved in this and involved in this and you gotta do this and you gotta do that. And those things, although some of them are good, can fight against the family, can fight against the things that are most important with the family. Okay, so for anybody that's in the room and you're like, you may not consider, you may already be thinking like, this message isn't even for me. Maybe you're an empty nester and you're just like, I'm just, I got all the kids out of the house, it's just me and my wife or me and my husband, but you still have a family. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're remarried. All of you have a family. And regardless of where you are in the structure and what your family looks like, you have a family and it's worth fighting for. Even if you feel like it's hopeless, it's still worth fighting for. In the Bible, there was a prophet named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was commissioned by God to go and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem because the wall had been laid barren. Okay, so anytime in the word, one of the things that walls always symbolize in the Bible is wisdom. Walls represent wisdom. And so Nehemiah goes back and he's trying to build the walls back up around Jerusalem because there's groups of people that are still attacking Jerusalem. They're coming. There's an attack coming. There's a fight coming. And so Nehemiah is trying to encourage the people. And this is what he says. In Nehemiah chapter four, starting in verse 14, it says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. And this next phrase, you're in church this morning, and so I have to believe that there's some part of this that you, you deeply believe, but I do believe that this is the most powerful word that some of you are gonna remember this morning when it comes to fighting for your family. And that is this. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight 
for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. The New Living Translation, this la that last phrase says it this way, fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This is the picture that Nehemiah is giving to the people. He's saying, in one hand, you're gonna have a tool to rebuild the wall, and in the other hand, you're gonna have to carry a sword because the fight is coming. And how many of y'all, you know that that's what it's like. Like you're trying to raise kids, it's like, man, I'm trying to work and build wisdom and I'm trying to give insight, but there's a fight still coming. But it says, fear not because God's got your back. But you do have to fight for this. So I know that some people feel like, man, it's just too late. It's just too late. I've just messed up way too much. Nothing is ever too late for God. And so you may have lost decades, you may have lost years of your life, but God redeems time. You see, your time in your own hands with your own purpose, yeah, it'll always feel like a loss. But when you take your time and put it in a capable God's hands, he redeems time. He takes time that you only naturally have, but he makes it that much more productive. He blesses it, he uses it. And so even if you feel like it's too late, it's never too late for God. I've heard people tell me this before, James, I just wish I would have known this when I was younger. Don't we all? Aren't there plenty of things that we just wish like, man, I wish I would have known that when I was younger. I wish I would have known that. I would have never dated that person. I wish I would have known that. I would have never gone to that school because I got a horrible education. It didn't set me up good. I wish I would have known that. I wish I never would have smoked that, drank that, whatever. Okay, but you know now. You know now, so let the Lord redeem the time. So let the Lord redeem it. Let him bring healing. It's not too late. No matter where you are, there is an impact that you can have. I promise you. So here's some of the principles that I'm learning as I'm raising my family. What it takes to have an awesome family. Awesome families fight to play together. Awesome families fight to play together. I have noticed that older people get this, and I'm not just talking about people that are in retirement because they get to just play. I'm talking about people that are older but still have full-time jobs and they're still raising families, but they have just learned through wisdom like, hey, there are gonna be seasons that are gonna be busier, that have higher stress, and so it's good for us to go and play. It's good for us to go and retreat and enjoy each other and enjoy relationships because it helps us get around the presence of God and it helps us be ready for when the more stressful seasons happen. But this is something you have to fight for this because it is not easy to always get away and have fun with your family. Now, I noticed this because every once in a while somebody will look at, at our lives and I just want you to know that not everything you see on Instagram is accurate to the reality of families. Because sometimes people will come and tell us like, man, y'all just such a great family. It looks like you guys have much, so much fun together. What you don't know is every time we load up to go on a family trip, four demons jump in the car before we can close the door. <laughs> and then I find myself just a couple miles down the road saying things that I said I would never said that my parents said. Things like, if you don't stop right now, I'm gonna turn this car right around. Or if you don't stop right now, I'm gonna pull this car over, I'm gonna pull you out, I'm gonna spank you right on the side of this highway. Anybody ever got a spanking on the side of the highway before? Come on, my people. Come on now, come on now. We, we live in a different age now. Back in my day, 
It wasn't just on the side of the road behind the car. It was on my bare bottom. He pulled my pants down and spanked me bare bottom right there. I, I promise you, that'll motivate you to behave yourself real quick. Not telling you that's what you need to do because you probably go to jail these days, but it worked for me. I turned out all right. But it's a fight sometimes. But this is what I've noticed. If you can fight through that initial, like this is difficult, it's a lot of work and it's plenty, it's all this. All of a sudden, it's up to you. If you wanna be stressed, or you wanna be anxious, your kids will be the same way. You can plan the best vacation on the planet as far as all the stuff you're gonna do, but if you don't have a spirit of joy and peace, it isn't gonna be fun. And what I've noticed, and as I look back on my life, I don't necessarily remember all the things that we did, but I remember how I felt. And that is gonna be the case with your kids. They may not always remember everything that you said and everything that you did, but you, they're going to remember how they felt. Did they feel peace? Did they feel joy? Did they just feel the sense of, man, it was just fun being together. You gotta fight for this. Ecclesiastes 8.15 says this, so I commend the enjoyment of life. This is Proverbs. Godly wisdom. Out of all the things that you could commend, commending the enjoyment of life. I think it's so important. Look at the next verse I want to share. What I love about Solomon, as he got later in his life, he was going through a midlife crisis, and so he's a little bit manic, kind of bipolar, so he would write these verses like this. And Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, Enjoy your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun all your meaningless days. Uh, that dude needs to be on something. Why is he talking like this? Because his when Solomon got older later in his life, he went away from God's commandment and away from God's plan and purpose and started marrying multiple wives, hundreds of them. How many of y'all know? That'll make you miserable when you got, okay, that, that, that's just stupid to do that. But he goes to that. And so what he's saying, he's saying it from a place of experiment, uh, experience and conviction like, hey, appreciate what God has given you. Appreciate what God has given you. So if you're married in this room, one of the greatest things that you will ever demonstrate for your kids outside of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the overflow of that relationship into your spouse. One of the things that your kids need more than anything is to see you enjoy your spouse. And so look, I know some of you, you've been divorced. I know some of you, you're not married yet. But if you are married, you wanna be married, or someday you want to be remarried, I'm trying to give you something that will help you make wise choices. It starts with you making a decision, though. It starts with you making the decision, but I think it's so important. One of the most important things for my kids to see is me and Cody cutting up. Me and Cody laughing. Me and Cody slapping each other's butts in the kitchen, stuff like that, you know? Like, ew, but you know every kid, they're like, ew, ew. Because <laughs> they need to see that. 
It says in Ecclesiastes 11.8, Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. Like every year, enjoy. There's something, enjoy. Why? Because you don't know when your year is going to be your last year. You have no idea. And so from time to time, people say, I'm sure one of the hardest things as a pastor is to do funerals. No, the funeral itself is not the hardest thing. The hardest thing around funerals is families that are living with regret. The saddest thing around funerals is when I get around a funeral or I get around a family who's lost someone and they said, I, I just wish that we would have done, we are planning on doing this. We are aiming on doing this. I just wish, and you know what? So often the thing that they wish that they would have done, it always is around having fun. Is around enjoying just one more thing together. And that's what they miss, that's what they regret the most. And so I just want to exhort you stop aiming at doing something and pull the trigger and do it. You need to take that vacation. You need to, whatever it is, fight for it. Fight for it. That being said, understand this this is in the premise of an overflow of personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I cannot enjoy my family if I'm insecure personally in who I am in Christ. And so what I've noticed is as the summer winds down and as people start coming back to church, most of the time the issue is not that people don't know how to take vacations, the issue is they think their vacation is gonna fix all their problems. And then the vacation is over and guess what? The problems are still there. Get back around the things of God. Get back in personal relationship with him so you can get your joy back, so you have some joy to share. But I think this is so important to fight for this because too often, we just have the wrong priorities. In 1 Timothy 6.17, it says, command, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy life. That enjoyment comes from him. You have to know this. Your family is not a boot camp, and parents are not the drill sergeants. If you're set up that way, it's sucking the joy out of it. Your family is also not a business, and parents, you're not the CEOs. And I see this so often where parents are really just focused on getting everything they can out of their kids. Your family is also not a science project. And you're not a scientist. Because I see so many parents with their kids like, man, I'm going to add a little bit of this and have them doing this and have them doing this. And I'm going to put some of this and I'm going to mix it all up and they're going to turn out to be the perfect kid. No, there's never going to be a perfect kid because there's never been a perfect father except for your heavenly father. But you're going to have to depend on him. So what is family? It's not a business. It's not boot camp. It's not a lab experience. It's a work of art. <laughs> and by the leading of the Holy Spirit and the power of his word, you just add paint strokes here and there and be obedient to make it look like whatever you feel like the Lord is leading you to make it look like. But none of them are ever gonna look the same. That's what's so great about an intimate God. A while back, one of our 
a pastor friend at a sister church, got to hang out with some executives from Nickelodeon and Disney. And, and they were talking about this show that they were doing. How many of y'all, you, your kids like watching all those shows, those kids shows and stuff, and, you know, it drives you crazy, but you, they, they love all that stuff. And, uh, but they have this show called uh, Kid on the Street, I think is what it's called. And it's a little bit like what Jimmy Kimmel does when he sends somebody out on the street and they like, interview and ask people questions. And some of it's really embarrassing because they ask like, questions about history and nobody knows any of our history. It's really scary to watch. But, but they'll do the same thing, like Kid on the Street, and they'll go interview kids and, and ask them these questions. And so they were talking about a time when they wanted to go and interview and ask this question, what is the most enjoyable thing that you do with your family? And they said, we went and asked that and we couldn't air the episode. So the pastor's like, why? What, they, like, what happened? Like, would they go over the line? It's like, no, it's just they didn't answer it the way they, we thought that they were going to answer because we thought they were going to answer it around like technology and watching movies or, or doing stuff like that. But overwhelmingly, the answer to that question, what do you enjoy doing the most with your family? You know what the answer is? Anybody want to guess? Board games. Board games. Why? Because they got to interact with their family. Now, I'm just want to let you know, sometimes board games in my house. <laughs> All my kids are like their mama. They're super competitive. I'm just like, can't we all get along and just have fun? <laughs> but I think what it speaks to is kids want to have that interaction. It's inherent in them. So maybe you don't like the board game thing. Okay, let me go to focus on the family. Focus on the family. Years ago, they did a survey. Um, they interviewed and surveyed the top 100 most healthy families that they'd ever interacted with as a ministry. And after interviewing them and surveying them, there was one common denominator that every one of those families did. They went camping. They went camping. <laughs> so now every time Cody's like, hey, you want to play a board game? I'm like, let's go camping, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's just, I would rather do that. No, but why? Why camping? Why is it so great? It's great because you have a captive audience. You're out there. Most of the time, you can get away from cell phone service. You're just out there and what? Somebody gets mad, somebody's fighting. You're at your house, they run to your room, slam the door. I'm like, go ahead, run off. <laughs> I think I saw some bear scat earlier. <laughs> what are they going to do? Run to the room, slam the door on their tent? <laughs> like, I can still hear you in there. But it, it forces you to work on your relationship. And I'll tell you, it is work. It's hard. We go camping with our family at least once or twice a year, and it is work. But I'll tell you what, it produces amazing fruit. And my kids enjoy it. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, it's going to be some of their fondest memories. It may not be that, but you've got to find something that you can enjoy with your family. Also, awesome families fight to grow together. They fight to grow together. Which means, parents, you have to realize you're still learning and growing too. And you have to be humble to that. So I'm, I'm recognizing that. For instance, when my kids were little, I knew that the primary way that I helped them grow was by the example that I set. 
Because young kids, they just, they, they copy stuff, right? They just copy what they see. They just see it good or bad. Like I remember a while back, uh, Corbin came and said, hey dad, what does this mean? And he, he gave me the middle finger. And I said, Corbin, I'm so sorry. Sometimes your mom gets upset and she gets frustrated. <laughs> and winters in Montana are cold. It'll break a woman down, okay? And I'm joking. My wife's never even cussed a day in her life. She's never even, I've tried to get her to cuss. She won't do it. So, but I was just talking. So I talked to him. Why? Because he's, he just is going, he's copying what he saw. He probably learned it from one of your kids. I don't know where he learned it. But, but, but that's why the example that I said is so important. And we have to understand this. This, this is, you've got to get this. If you're raising kids, you're raising stepkids, blended family, whatever the case may be, if you are influencing someone around you, you have to understand this. You will either be the example or you will be the excuse. When they get into their 20s and 30s and down in life, they will either look back and say, what a great example, or they will say, yeah, the reason why I struggle with all this is because of my parents, because they never did this, or they always did this. You will either be the example or you'll be the excuse. So, but it's transitioning now where it's not just example. Example will always be there, but now it's conversation. And that's hard. It's difficult. I got a preteen. She's going to be 13 in two months, and I'm just gearing up. Like, okay, I got to get in touch with my feelings. Like, I got to know some stuff. Like, I got to have these conversations. But we got to be willing to talk through some stuff. And I'll tell you, this takes a lot of the fruit of the Spirit for me because I'm not always that patient. And some of you, you're the same way. So now, like, one of my kids will come to tell me something. Before they finish their first sentence, I've already got the solution to their issue. I just want to fix it. No, that's not listening. And I'm not always a great listener. Let me tell you one of the most embarrassing stories I have as a pastor of a time that I just blew it when it came to listening to somebody. Nobody in, in here, it was a while back, it was one of our students who were still doing our school. This guy comes like, Pastor James, I just need to talk to you. I got all kinds of stuff going on. I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm like, hey, let's go out to dinner. We can talk about it. So we went to dinner and we sat through the whole meal and he didn't say a word. I was like, you want to talk about anything? Well, I didn't realize he was carb loading, getting ready for the conversation after dinner. And it was getting late. And so then we get in his car and he takes me and we pull up to my house so he can drop me off. And, now, and then he starts spilling the beans. But anybody ever met somebody where their voice was kind of like one of those noise machines that you fall asleep to? Like it's just, it just sounds like the sounds of nature, like just the tone of their voice is so even killed and it's just like there's no variation in it. So it's just almost like soothing. So this guy's talking and it feels that way. And I'm getting tired. And I'm doing everything I can to stay awake. And I grew up in some boring churches, so I know some tricks, you know. But, but no matter what, it just gets to a place where I'm just like, I couldn't do it. And I don't remember what happened, but I remember this. I remember hearing, James, are you still listening? I had fallen asleep. I was like, no. <laughs> but by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit gave me a plan. And as soon as he said, James, are you still listening? I said, mm, thank you, Lord. Lord, come on. <laughs> Praise God. I just feel like he's leading us. Let's just go into a time of prayer right now over all this, everything that's going on in your life. That probably just saved somebody's life in this, family, in this place because at one point or another, if you fall asleep when your wife's talking to you, whatever, just go to prayer, brother. <laughs> go to prayer. 
just do that. I fell asleep when this guy was pouring out his heart to me. So I'm not always a good listener. But I do know this. The, way, the words that I choose to speak in conversation and the way that I say them is important. And sometimes I have great things to say, but I say it in the wrong way and it's the wrong thing to say. If I don't say it in the right way. And some of you, the way that you talk with your kids and have conversation with your kids, this is something I'm learning and I struggle with. The strong words that I use now may produce compliance in the moment, but later on it could produce a fruit of rebellion. And so me just trying to be strong to get my kids to do something, they may be compliant in the moment, but it also shut them down in wanting to have conversation with me, which ultimately could produce rebellion in their life. Some things that we need to be able to talk about. We need to be able to talk about how to handle feelings. This is one of the most important skills of life. How do I handle my emotions? First thing is, you gotta recognize it. Second thing is, you gotta name what it is. Whatever it is, insecurity, depression, anger, jealousy, anxiety, fear, whatever it is, name it and then put the word of God on it. Recognize it, name it, and then put the word of God on it. Am I saying that you may not need some more help? Am I saying you may not need some counseling? You may need some medication to get some chemicals balanced back out. You may need to. But don't do any of that before you put the word of God on it. Because here's the deal. God created all those other things as solutions. But those things can't work by God's power and God's work to create a miracle in your student or your kid's life if you're not walking in faith about what his word already says. So we don't need to get all the solutions from all these outside sources before we know what the solution has already been given to us. So you gotta recognize it, name it, and then put the word of God on it. Whatever it is, listen to it. And then we also need to teach them how to handle conflict. We need to teach them how to handle conflict. So many of us, we have issues because nobody's ever taught us how to have healthy confrontation. We don't know how to have conflict. There's a lot of us, we fall into one or two categories. We're a skunk or we're a turtle. We come into conflict and we just stink the whole place up. Or we come into conflict and we just retreat into our shell and wait for it to pass. Neither one of those are Holy Spirit led. We gotta deal with conflict. I think one of the most important things for my kids to see is to see me work through conflict in a healthy way, including with their mom. And some of you are like, what, you fight in front of your kids? Well, the good thing is when I'm in front of my kids, I have accountability. So I, it causes me to check myself, to check my emotions, but I want them to see me and Cody work through a disagreement in a healthy way. And guess what? Even if you're divorced and how you deal with your ex, you need to put the war aside and learn how to honor and respect them. Because if your kids can witness you dealing with conflict with your ex in a healthy way, <laughs> that's gonna help them so much because there's gonna have plenty of people in their life they're gonna disagree with. 
So teach them that. Set that example for them. They also need to know how to handle loss. Now, I'm, I'm worried about this part of our culture. We're not teaching our kids how to lose well. There's going to be loss. There's going to be loss. So a couple soccer seasons ago, Reeves is on a team. They won every game. Won every game. Like blowout games. I didn't see his character change that much. He's a good kid. This last season, they lost all games but one. It was one of the best seasons he could have possibly had. Why? Because it had, it worked on his character. Just, this is my personal conviction. The only purpose for sports, for kids, is to develop their character and help them to learn how to deal with other people. That is it. That's it. That's it. I'm not disillusioned. My kids are not going to make millions of dollars someday playing sports. It ain't going to happen. I'm sorry, but most of your kids are not going to either. I've seen them play. They're not that good. <laughs> it's to develop their character and to help them to learn how to work with the teammates and with, with coaches that are difficult. They need to learn how to lose and lose well. But they also need to know how to deal with loss in life. Sometimes you're going to need to talk about death not pretend like it didn't happen. Talk about it. This is what it looks like. This is what it means. Eternity is real. You need to help your kids understand how to deal with loss. They need to understand that at one point or another, they're gonna fail, but they only fail if they quit. But they need to have that opposition so they know how to respond. It says in Proverbs 24, 16, the godly may trip seven times, but they'll get up again. That's what our kids need to learn. It's how to get up again. Also, awesome families serve God and others. Awesome families serve God and serve others. Actually, the primary way that you serve God now is by serving other people. And every awesome family that I've seen in my life, man, they, they live this. And I want to exhort you with something. Self-centered families eventually fall apart. Self-centered families, families that just say, well, it's just all about us and it's about our schedule and it's about how, well, how we wanna spend our time and it's about how we wanna spend our money. It's about us, it's about us. Self-centered families raise incredibly insecure kids because self-centered families teach kids that the, the world revolves around them. So then when they grow up and the world doesn't revolve around them, they're insecure and fearful because the world doesn't care about them. But families that serve and know that it's not about them, that understand that God didn't just save them from their sins, but God gave them a job and a purpose, those families are fulfilled. My, my, my family made plenty of mistakes. My parents got divorced when I was 13 years old. But one thing that I will never forget and one thing that they did right, we served as a family. We knew how to serve people. And so I remember times when we'd be at the church and cleaning and helping people and letting people live with us or giving people a meal or whatever it was, just serving. And I'll tell you, that was so encouraging to me even as a kid, just knowing that we're helping someone. We're helping someone. Awesome families understand the purpose of God. Awesome families understand the kingdom. 
Awesome families find a place where they can take everything that God is constantly blessing them with and pouring into them and they pour it out. They pour it out. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another, one another on toward love and good deeds. That good deeds, man, that's just ministry. It's just asking, God, what, what's, our, what's our ministry as a family? How are you asking us to serve? There's this guy in, in Acts. Anytime a name is mentioned in the Bible, it's a big deal because how many of you know there was millions of names that could have been mentioned in the Bible. And, and I'm, we're gonna get to heaven and find out about people that did amazing things throughout the course of history and even during Bible times and we never heard their name. The Bible actually talks about it. It talks about the ministry of Jesus and how if everything was talked about and everything was mentioned in the ministry of Jesus, it would fill an entire library. So when a name is mentioned, it's like a big deal. And there's this name that is mentioned in Acts chapter 10 and verse one. It says that there was a man named Cornelius and he was a centurion. He was in the Roman army. The Romans were the ones oppressing the Israelis, all right, Israel, the Jewish people, and what was known as the Italian regiment. So he was, he was from Italy, not a Jew, not from there. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. I love this because what this says is this, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your lineage was. It doesn't matter even the mistakes that you've made. God can put his grace and his favor on you and your family. But it says he was devout. They weren't wishy-washy. They were committed. They were devout. They feared the Lord. They understood the urgency of the times that they were living in. They gave generously. It says he prayed regularly. The only way that people would know that he prayed regularly is he showed up to church because they had prayer three times a day. Three times a day. He was there. He showed up. He was there. I believe that God has already given us so many families that are like this, but if you don't feel like your family is there or you feel like it's too late for your family, I just want to encourage you. It's never too late for God. And if you'll let him, he'll show up. He'll give you an awesome family if you're willing to fight for it. And I wanna let you know, we'll fight with you if you give us a chance. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Father God, I lift up families in this room. Whatever that family may be, that family structure, I know some of us, may, we may be sitting here and we're just in the middle of this heartbreaking situation because our family is falling apart. I don't know all the different stories. I know there's people that are walking through divorce right now. There's people that are just dealing with loss. There's, there's all these situations. And I thank you, God, for your grace. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show up in a powerful way in every one of those situations, God, that they would not lose hope. But God, whatever family they have, whatever they have, that they would fight for it to be a person, Lord, that will stand in the gap and fight for their family. And that you redeem the time, you bring healing, you bring restoration, you bring reconciliation in Jesus' name. I pray for moms and dads for favor. Lord, your, your word says that when Jesus was a young man and as he was growing, he, he grew in wisdom and, and in, in favor with God and with men and in stature, 
And God, I pray that families would grow just like that. They would grow in knowledge and wisdom, Lord. They would grow in stature, God. There'd be a place of health. God, that we just foster an environment that's healthy emotionally, physically. And that, that the favor of God would be on them. That you would bring the right friends around couples. Bring the right friends around students and around kids. And keep the wrong friends away in Jesus' name. Thank you for your grace and your protection. Thank you, God, for giving us a church and a family that has so many awesome families. But I thank you, God, that you're gonna add some more. You're gonna bring more. Help us to trust you with this. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, look, you, I don't know how anybody has any kind of family with any kind of success without Jesus. And so if you're here today and you just, if you're honest, you just know you're away from him, you don't have a relationship with him, I just wanna give you an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you're away from God and you know you need him, nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're away from Jesus, you're ready to have a relationship with him, I'd just love to include you in this prayer I'm about to pray. If that's you, you put your hand up. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Anybody in this room, I need a relationship with Jesus today. I'm away from you. Anybody in this place? As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Let's make sure I see it. Okay. Got it. Got it. Thank you, guys. Got it. Both of you, thank you. Anybody else? I need a relationship with Jesus. I'm away from God. Okay. For those few folks that raise your hand, I'd encourage you to go public with this decision. We're gonna do water baptism here in just a little bit. And I encourage you, even if you weren't planning on it, even if that was something you were ready for, we're ready for you. We have everything that you need and you can get water baptized today. And that goes for any person that's in this room. If you just, you're in a different season. Maybe you've been water baptized before, but you're in a different season and this is a new church family for you and you just want this church family to know that you're gonna live for Jesus. You've committed to live for him. I encourage you to get water baptized. But every person, just raise your hand. Just talk to God. Just say, here's my life. And I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And right now, I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a new life. And God, I repent. I stop. I turn away from living the way I've been living. I want to live according to your plan and your purpose. Help me to reach the full potential of everything you've created me to be. God, I speak that over all of our families. Help us be a representation of your love for us. By the way, we fight for love and joy. Talk with and grow in our families. And especially the way we demonstrate your love through service. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give God some praise in this place for his word.